Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Good morning, everyone, and welcome again to Strength to Strength. This is actually our final meeting that we'll have on Strength to Strength this year. And looking back over 2021, it's been an interesting year. It's been a, a great year. The Lord has been good. Uh, he's shown his power and his wisdom in many ways in my life. And I'm sure he has in yours as well as a faithful father. And strength to strength has been an incredible blessing in my life over the past year. And I pray that it has been to yours as well. Um, this morning, we have Brother Leonard Hagee joining us from Shippensburg Fellowship, Pennsylvania. Is that right? Yes, that's right. And he's going to be sharing on bringing the word, the written word, to unreached people groups. So um, without further ado, let's bow our heads for prayer. Gracious Father in heaven, we pause before you this morning. We're so grateful to be your children. We're so thankful that you have reached down in love, sent your only begotten son to live a perfect life, to live an example to each one of us on how we should live. Thank you that he is seated at your right hand, interceding for each one of us, our King and our Savior. We pray, Lord, that your name would be lifted up this morning. Be with Brother Leonard as he, as he shares. Give us each um, attentive ears for the word that you have for us this morning. Bless this meeting. May your presence be felt. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. My name is Leonard Heggie, and I was born and raised in Shippensburg, Pennsylvania. Uh, yeah, it's where my parents or my dad grew up. My mom was from Virginia, so my roots are in this area. Back in 2019, I'm sorry, not 2019, 2015, I joined All Nations Bible Translation. And after several years of preparation, my wife and I left for Mexico in, that was 2019. So we've been down there for two years. Um, we joined a family that had been serving there already for a good four years when we arrived and a, a third family moved down right about the same time we did. So we live there in southern Mexico. And our goal in being there is Bible translation and church planting. So my presentation this morning is titled Patriotic Ambassadors Crossing Cultures. When we look at the Bible we see examples of great teachers such as Jesus and Paul in their teaching, demonstrating an intimate knowledge of the, the culture of the people that they're speaking to. And of course, that's true when they are speaking in their home culture, such as Jesus speaking to the Pharisees, Paul speaking to the Sanhedrin, the council. Um, and there's many examples of that, but we also see that when Jesus and Paul are speaking to 
people from other cultures, such as Jesus uh, speaking to the, the Samaritan woman at the well, or Paul speaking to the Athenians on Mars Hill, they, they knew that culture that they were speaking to, and their message reflected that, or the way they presented the message. Obviously, truth is constant across cultures, but sometimes the presentation or the living out of that truth will look different. And we see that in Jesus's and Paul's message. So as, as they knew their culture, or knew the culture they were speaking to well, and, and tailored their message for that, so we, I believe, should do the same thing. Now, when we are speaking to our host culture, I, or our home culture, rather, the culture that we grew up in, we, we absorb that knowledge of that culture as we grow up and our message easily reflects that like we really don't have to do anything because we assume the people we are speaking to have the same basic understandings of how the world world works probably believe the, about the same as we do but when we shift to a completely different culture it necessitates learning to know that culture so you can teach them well, teach them understanding where they are coming from, how it is different from where you came from, and your message may need to be tailored to that reality and make certain emphases um, in order to correct errors in truth in that, in that culture, or you can build upon truth that does exist there. So I would like to do basically a case study of cultural exploration uh, based on the people group that we are working with. So my wife and I have just been living with these people for a year. Our teammates have been there much longer. So the stories I'm going to be sharing, the knowledge of that culture, that society that I'm going to be sharing is, is pulled from both of our experiences. Actually, our teammates very intentionally um, kept a what they called a cultural diary for their first couple years living back there and just wrote down stories of especially uh, instances that left them confused. Like, wow, that, that people interaction just did not make sense. What was said there did not make sense. We do not know what's going on there. Let's write that down and... In the future, as we get to know these people better, we can maybe go back to ask for explanations or as we see more or as, as we collect these stories and read them as a whole, uh, a fuller picture of what they believe will emerge. So I've drawn some from that in, in some of the stories I'm going to be sharing this morning. I'll try to give credit where it's due when we get there. So I just for privacy purposes um, and because this will be publicized, I'm going to try to avoid sharing the name of, of the people group. Um, but I will refer to them as like this people or, or they. So, and I'll try to be clear in that. So knowing a people often begins with knowing something about their history. 
So these people live in Mexico that was conquered by the Spanish almost exactly 500 years ago. And the influence of their interaction with the Spanish conquistadors is still felt today. So the Spanish came in, forcibly proselytized the people um, or brought Catholicism, basically converted them at gunpoint or sword point. So they brought religion, they took gold. And that, as I said, that interaction is the influences of that are still felt today. When we arrived there, like we were treated with some suspicion. Why are you here? The only reason outsiders come is to take advantage of us. And it's taken time to gain access and build trust with these people. And still today, especially with our teammates in the village where they live, we, we live in two different villages. Theirs is slightly more isolated, a little more backwards in their thought. And there's rumors to this day that circulate that uh, Ethan has a an apparatus that that can find gold and so-and-so saw him out the other night searching for gold and uh, maybe he's found it. And thankfully there has not been any major damage done by those rumors. Um, they've never been proven of course, but things like that still happen today as a result of bad interactions in the past. They are people who are suspicious of outsiders as far as their religion they practice folk Catholicism. So I mentioned the, the Spanish forcibly converted them. They converted them in practice, but not so much in thought. So on the outside, they may appear to be Catholic by attending mass once in a while and venerating the saints. But how they go about these practices is quite inconsistent with traditional Catholic teaching. Um, so they've veneered their traditional spiritual practices or animism with Catholicism, creating a rather strange mix. So they live in fear of the spirits that inhabit the world around them, typical of animists. Some of the spirits they believe are nature spirits, and some are spirits of the dead. And these may be especially feared depending on the deceased individual's character while they lived or the circumstances under which they died. So these spirits are to be respected, at times feared, and they, these spirits can also be manipulated in the sense of these spirits control weather events, life, life events. So if we want things to turn out well for us, we need to convince these spirits to treat us well. Or if we want to place a curse on somebody, then we again go to these spirits, manipulate them through sacrifices, incantations, ceremonies, whatever, to cause things to go bad for that other person. That's very typical of animists. Another interesting thing they believe is that I quote from a worldview write-up that our teammate did. It is believed that people are possessed by an animal alter ego spirit. In times of sickness or crisis, people turn to a shaman to help them determine what their animal spirit is suffering and what needs to be done for the cure. And then as Catholics, they believe that they possess God's Holy Spirit at baptism. So you may be 
chuckling after that paragraph. They believe they're possessed by an animal alter ego spirit. Um, and they, they turn to their traditional healers for help with that. But then they go to the Catholic Church and believe that they received God's Holy Spirit or they've been taught that. And they do not see those possessing those two spirits at the same time as, as a problem. Um, so a strange mix. Recently, they had uh, an event a couple months ago, the Fiesta de San Miguel. Um, in English, we would say like the Festival of St. Michael. So just given the title, you would expect that to be a festival venerating a Catholic saint. And it is kind of, there's Catholic masses held in conjunction with that. But other activities that go on are just so, so far from traditional Catholic practice as in what, what the Pope, um, the Vatican would, would teach. Uh, along with this, this festival, there, there was a group of, of dancers Young men dressed up in animal costumes, uh, like dogs, donkeys, uh, jaguars, um, and then a couple, couple I masks. I think like representing spirits, and preceded by a band. A couple times a day, this this group would would in procession, kind of dancing and. and uh, chanting along the way, they would make their way up to the top of a nearby hill where they would pray to the rain god, kind of the traditional head god of the Mixtec people. They would pray to the rain god for good rains, um, not where there wasn't much thunder or torrential rains, just good good rains for their crop to grow. So they'd go up there and then they'd come back. I mean, they'd, they'd leave like four o'clock in the morning, wake us up as they went right by our house. So that's that's their religion. Um, they at 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 heart they are animists, but on the outside they are Catholics. I'm quite sure if you would go read the country of Mexico's statistics on religion, they would be included in the the Catholic un, under the Catholic percentage. And when you go back and you see the church that they're building and the resident priest and all that, I mean, you could affirm that. But when you get to know them, you realize that is not the case. That is not where they are coming from. In addition to their religion, I'm just going to describe a kind of a few interesting aspects of their culture. And then in the end, going to look at look at a couple points that we've identified as being specific barriers to understanding the gospel or aspects of their culture that it feels stand in direct opposition to certain bible truths and and see how maybe we how we could tailor the message or what we should think about in confronting that error so first, a couple kind of unique, unique aspects of, of this people's culture. 
So one of these is a poor us attitude. So past exploitation, um, beginning with the Spanish, and then subsequent attempts by the government to remedy that past exploitation or to compensate for it, have led these people to believe that they are poor and incapable and the government should help them to get ahead. So here's a story from our teammates' cultural diary. Here I quote, a few ladies stopped by for help, filling out a government questionnaire in Spanish. The biggest kick I got out of it was how they answered the question, the president of Mexico. And they answered it, tell him to give us a lot of money. And they said it in all seriousness. Can you imagine how different the response would be if we asked the average American what they would say to their president? To this people, the government stands for one thing, money. The other day, Alex even asked us if we could solicit some money from President Trump so that they could build a bridge over a bad spot in their road. And end of quote. So there's an example. Um, they see themselves as poor, not being able really to remedy problems in their own lives, um, but rather look to the government for for aid in that so they can get ahead. Uh, here's another story. I quote, from what we have observed, this people's first reaction to a problem is there's no solution. For example, on our way through Yolo, which is a nearby town, we came up to a gathering on the street with a band playing and men sitting around in chairs. The road was completely blocked off. But knowing that there was no other way around, we had to get through in order to get to the village. However, we asked a couple of people what to do, and they just said, there's no way through. A few minutes later, though, after conferring with the other men, they realized that there was actually a way through. Move a few chairs so our truck could go past. It probably stems from their poor me attitude and the fact that the future is predetermined and there's nothing one can do to change it. After some time, they realized that there might indeed be a solution. but the first response is to assume that there's not an end of quote. So they're fatalists, assuming that their, their future is predetermined. What is going to happen is going to happen. And there's really nothing I can do um, to determine my future, my destiny. Uh, uh, something I hear quite often in our village is, oh, there's no employment here. There's no employment here. Um, they, they groan about the poor houses they have, which are adobe, um, which is actually a very nice form of construction. It's cool in the, in the heat and warmer in the cool. Um, but no, they, they want, if they want to build a house, which they think of as a concrete house, like the, the wider society would build, um, just poor us, poor us. Um, they, they feel like to get ahead, they need to go work outside the village, or at least many of them. So I actually have friends who are working on work contracts in the States at this moment um, because they don't see themselves as being able to get ahead where they are. So the poor us attitude, that's one feature of their culture. Another one is envy. Uh, kind of the basis of this envy is the mixed or the, this people's concept of 
limited good. So they believe that there are only so many resources that are available to them as a people group. And those resources are divided up among the individuals. There no more can be added to the whole of the good. Therefore, if somebody else is getting ahead, they are doing it at my expense. They are taking away good that should be shared with me in order to be fair. Um, and that leads to some interesting outcomes. Like there's no concept of productivity coming as a result of harder work. Like maybe if we grow more corn or plant more coffee trees, we can increase the good that is available to us as a people. Um, and we all can get ahead. No, it's like if that person is getting ahead, then, then yeah, we, we need to do something to, to remedy the problem, to level the playing field again. And this envy even leads to property destruction of people that are, are getting ahead financially. Um, in one case, like one, one man bought a truck and his neighbors were quite resentful of that and they ended up burning it. In another case, they, someone planted some trees. Um, I'm not sure if they were coffee or, or what, but went th they were pulled up by, by his neighbors out of envy. And because of that, like any progress is stifled because those who, at least economic progress, that's stifled because if, if people want to get ahead, if there is a motivated individual, they're scared to because they know reparations for that could come from their neighbors. So here's another story from our teammates. Later, Ethan and Alex were talking so Ethan is my teammate. Alex is uh, a friend of his. Uh, and Alex said his wife doesn't want him to learn to drive for fear of other people's envy. He said that he isn't allowed to practice with the village truck anymore, a new rule to keep him from getting ahead, and that people are really envying him ever since he has been learning. And that's the end of the quote. But the learning that is reference there is Ethan and Alex working together. Um, Ethan was teaching Alex how to use a computer, learn to read, uh, and and working with him in, in doing translation work. And people looking on were, were envious of that because Alex is now learning things that we don't know. He's, he's getting ahead. Um, now he's learning to drive. We don't want him to get any further ahead. So let's make a rule that he can't use the village truck to learn to drive anymore. Uh, so just suppressing progress all around. Another story. I quote, Ethan showed his phones to a group of men. That is phones for sale. They all oohed and odd over them, but all ended up saying there's no money. However, as Ethan walked home, one of the men that had been in the group caught up with him and told him to come to his house where he was all excited and ended up buying the phone. It's very important to give the appearance of not having money, end of quote. So that there's not having money. It's, it's a very common phrase that you hear. Oh, there's no money. And sometimes it's 
it, it's true. Um, but then those who do have money are afraid to, to advertise the fact. And it's better to say, oh, I don't have any money either. And then um, we can clandestinely pursue our, our, our ways of spending that money. So limited good and envy, another key feature of, of their culture. Another one, knowledge is power. So these people believe that the more knowledge somebody has of you, the more power they have over you. So that knowledge is power is a phrase known in our culture, but for different reasons. Um, we, we Americans see education as a way of getting ahead, of bettering our lives, of getting a better job. And so knowledge is power for us in that respect. For these people, it's if I know something about a person, they have power or I have power over them. If they know something about me, they have power over me. And this is consistent with their their animistic worldview where they can manipulate the spirits to, to do bad to, to someone else. And that leads to people giving um, names that are not their own if they're asked or things like that. Or even just knowledge of random things. Like you look on and you're like, well, why in the world does me knowing that make any difference to you? But they're, they're hesitant to share knowledge. Uh, here's a story, again, from our teammates. I stopped at our neighbor's house on our way past, and for lack of things to say, I asked where Wilder, that is their, their son, was. Sophia hesitates a split second and says, he's sleeping. A couple minutes later, I walk past Sophia's mother's house and see the boy outside playing. I am baffled as to the reason for that lie, since we often ask where each other's children are, and it has never seemed to threaten them. Like Ethan said, maybe it's just that any knowledge another person has about you can potentially be used against you. And end of that quote, and I'll go ahead and read another one. The neighbors stuck a crate in their cactus tree and lit it on fire, and all the while Sophia and the boy stood nervously up by our house, obviously to stay out of the area for a bit. I asked her what they were doing, and she said, they aren't doing anything. And then, I wonder why we know next to nothing about these people's religious beliefs. Ironic or sarcastic statement at the end. But pretty typical response. Uh, yeah, nothing. No, nothing's going on. I had a similar experience not too long ago. I was trying to track down a young man that had visited at our house a couple weeks prior. I didn't know where he lived. So I went to another house where I was, I knew that some of his family members lived there. And I asked about this, this young man. I said, where does, no, I didn't ask where he lived. I said, is he a family member of yours? And the lady I was asking just like hesitated. And then she's like, I, I don't know. 
It's like, oh, come on. Like, <laughs> you know, whether he's your fam family member or not, it was just so obvious that she, she didn't want to tell me. Um, she felt it was better if I did not have the information. Another example of knowledge being power. So our, my teammate, Ethan, over in the next village has taught the, the town secretaries how to use the computer. So I think the town government came into possession of a computer after Ethan had moved into the village. They elect a new secretary every year. So the first one, Ethan taught him how to use a computer, how to type, I don't know, basic document processing. I don't know what, what the extent of that was. And then he said, hey, now that you know, you can go on to teach the next secretary. Well, no, that, that wasn't going to work. Um, the next time a new secretary is elected and enters a position, they call on Ethan to teach him how to use a computer. Well, why can't he learn from the one before? Ah, now you teach this guy, please. And this has this is just consistent every year. Ethan is called upon to teach the new secretary how to use the computer. Um, they see that knowledge as being power and connected with their envy. They don't want to share that knowledge with their successor in the secretary position. So knowledge is power, another tenet of, of this people's worldview. And here's just a couple random stories that, that I found interesting um, in reading over my, my teammates' cultural diary. And these are some, it's like, wow, you don't know how to classify them, but it's, it's just interesting, reflects something about how they believe. Um, and we might not be quite sure what it is yet. So... Uh, maybe I'll just uh, paraphrase this story because um, it kind of spans some time. Ethan and Lene were in their village. A couple of children knocked on their door in the evening. And when they opened it, they were surprised to see that these children had brought them fresh tamales. And they're like, we don't even know who their parents are. Um, why are they sending us tamales? But, okay, they ate down the tamales. They were later talking to some friends in another village who also had or had some history with living with these people, learning their their ways. And Ethan learned that these people will sometimes place a, a curse on food and then give that food to somebody they are trying to to get back at or cause harm to. And they thought back to the tamales and it's like, ah, maybe. So sometime later, uh, they had this, this interaction. And I'll, I'll just read this. We turned down a request to haul some firewood, some firewood for a neighbor. And later, her son showed up at our door with a big bowl of pumpkin atole. The thought crossed my mind that it was weird for her to give us a food gift after we had told her no. I remembered how they will sometimes place a curse on food and gift it to you. I prayed about it and felt no fear about eating it, and it was quite yummy. The next morning, her son was hanging around watching us and finally blurted out, How do you feel after eating the pumpkin? We assured him we felt 
quite well and sent a little gift home with him for his mother. So how, how do you relate to that? I mean, for us in our U.S. culture, if we suspected that somebody knew what we were doing, um, we wouldn't do it, send in cursed food like that. And we certainly wouldn't ask about it later. Uh, but for them, they sent the cursed food. Next day, how, how are you doing? How did you feel after eating that? Um, and hopefully they were impacted by the, the reality that what they had sent caused no harm whatsoever. Here's a story about how, how they responded to a solar eclipse. So I quote, the old mayor's wife said someone had called into the village and informed them that the sun was going to be covered in a few days and it would be completely dark. They made an announcement over the village loudspeakers informing everyone of the upcoming danger. As she told me this, her eyes were wide and she asked me, is it true? Are we all going to die? Later, I asked Panfilio and his wife about it, and they said, oh, yes, it's true. I asked them if it is bad when the sun gets dark, and they heartily assured me that it is very bad. I asked them why it happened, and they said that it's because a satellite goes in front of the sun, and when it happens, everyone dies. The eclipse had just happened in the States, so I told them, well, the sun just got dark in my town. Did everyone die, they asked, and I don't know if I should have said this, but I said, no, over there, when the sun gets dark, they have parties. Needless to say, they were amazed. Then there's some cases uh, in interacting with a new people group like this. It's like you don't know what to do. Um, it's like that. that is just what it, what's going on in this situation? I don't know how to respond. I want to be culturally sensitive, but like, I don't know the culture. Um, just Lord help me know what's best to do and take care of any, any negative effects that might come out of this. Um, here's a little story about that. Again, shared from our teammates. We ran over two of the neighbor's turkeys pulling into our house today. Children all, all around watched very soberly as Ethan went down to the neighbor's house to tell them, as if they expected an angry shouting match over the deal. The neighbors, of course, acted all stirred up. We wanted to be fair and do the culturally correct thing, but how, when we have no idea what they would do in this situation? Ethan ended up paying them for the big turkey, which we butchered, and they took the loss for the small one, which they butchered. They seem pleased in the end, and we hope and pray we were a good testimony to them. So instances like this come up more frequently than comfortable. It's like, yeah, I, I don't know what to do in this situation. What is a culturally appropriate thing? And that's the whole goal um, in in learning about their culture is so you can respond appropriately. So you can communicate the, the truth of the Bible to them in a way that, that meets them where they're at. And also so you can act in a way that demonstrates Christ-likeness because you, or I, I, I might be living out the teachings of Christ in, in a way that is uh, adequate, correct, in my home culture, in my home society, but there may be differences 
between my home culture and the new culture I'm trying to fit into that change what showing Christ's love looks like. Like something might maybe polite in my home culture. It's extremely rude to a different one. And that's why it's so important just to learn uh, a the, the your your host society's culture so you can show Christ to them. So here at the end, um, here's a few specific barriers that our team has identified as being being directly contrary to truths in the Bible, things we anticipate needing to confront with biblical truth and knowing that the truth will be hard for them to accept because it just runs contrary to what they have grown up believing. So I already explained about good being limited. How do you communicate the boundless riches available in Christ in this context? There's that verse. Oh, no, I can't remember where it is. Um, but where, where Paul says, but my God is making is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye having all sufficiency in all things may abound unto every good work. Not sure I quoted that quite correctly, but that's the gist of it. The grace of God is boundless. That's directly contrary to, to what these people believe about goodness, good in, in their society. They believe good is limited. That is not the case with the, the grace of God. Um, the riches that we have in Christ are unlimited. God gives grace according to the, the situation that we, were, that we are in. The more difficult our situation, the more grace he, he gives us, boundless riches. So this is a, an error in their culture that will need to be confronted with the truth of the Bible. A second barrier, they believe that God is distant. He definitely exists, but is not interested in my life, except maybe to punish me if I do wrong. If I have a problem, I may pray to God or the God that exists in their minds, whether that's their traditional rain God or whether that is the God that Catholicism has taught them about. So I may pray to God, but I also try to fix the problems in other ways because I doubt God cares. I need to go to spiritual intermediaries like Catholic saints or nature spirits because they have the real power or the real access to God. So how, from, from our perspective now, how can you introduce an omnipotent God who cares and loves and each individual? We will need to emphasize the relational side of God in this culture. God loves us and he alone has the power to bring about good changes in our lives. So these people do have a concept of God. He is distant. Um, the, the ones that, that we need to worry about are the spirits that inhabit the world around us. They have no concept of God being personally interested in my life and working it out 
for my good, we feel we will need to emphasize the relational side of God, a God that loves each individual and is, is interested in, in working their lives out for their good and his glory. In the United States, we have maybe the, the flip side of that. God is seen only, perhaps, as a relational individual. And people talk about the man upstairs without having a, a right concept of the holiness of God and the wrath of God against sin. The Mixtec people, it's, it's exactly the opposite. Yes, they have a concept of the wrath of God against sin. The only reason God would intervene in our lives is to punish us for wrong we have done. But God is distant. He's different from us. He's not He's not interested in personal interaction with us. So a, that's an error in their, in their worldview. And we're going to need to confront that with the truth of the gospel that says God loves you. God is interested in you personally. He knows you by name. He has the hairs on your head numbered. A third uh, barrier that we see is their people having this concept that this is our way of life. You may have a different way of life and it may work for you, but it would never work for us. And they apply that to religious thought as well. So what does that mean when we are bringing the gospel to them? They could easily or do look at the word of God and say, that's great. That's great. Unfortunately, like that doesn't work for us. Like this is our way of life. That's, that's your way of life. And your teaching is good for you. And I wish that it could maybe be good for us too, but that's not the case. It's, it's foreign to us. So we will need to make an emphasis how, on how the gospel is good news for all people. As, as the, the angel who announced Jesus' birth said, like the, the news that I bring you will cause great joy for all people because Jesus is born in Bethlehem. These people do not have a concept of that. Okay, Jesus might have been born in Bethlehem. That's great. But how is it relevant to us? So we're going to need to present that truth of the gospel. That this message is for all people and have that confront the, the error that exists in their worldview. So I've mentioned several times, like us confronting the error that exists. In, in their culture, um, it's it's not about us. Yes, we may be the messengers, but the the truth is God's, and we may have the privilege of telling it. But there's nothing we can do to convince them that the way you believe is wrong. The message I'm sharing is right. What all we can do is present the message. 
this is the truth. This is what God says. This is who God is. And that's why you should believe it. And then let the rest up to God's spirit. And we are looking forward to seeing God enter into this, this society in big ways and transform it with the gospel. That's all I have to share. Um, I believe that there's a question and answer period now, but I'll hand it back over to you, Sam. Sounds good. Thank you, Brother Leonard. Very engaging uh, stories you shared. Um, I really appreciate that idea of going into a people group and learning to understand them from their history to their worldview, um, even their, you know, every aspect of how they relate to each other socially and, and things like that. And I couldn't help but think about bringing that aspect. I guess my thought was we grew up, we grow up in the culture we grow up in here in, in North America, Canada is probably a little different than the United States. And there's subcultures in the communities that we live in. Um, the question I had is what would happen if we brought that, that kind of uh, analysis to the culture that we live in? I guess we presume we understand the culture around us. Um, maybe you all are doing that and I'm the one that's not, I'm not sure. But to learn the history of the, the culture that I live in, the subcultures that might be there as well, and think about um, spreading the word of God to these people based on that information. Um, I've just been, that's the thing that I've been thinking about in, in listening to you talk about um, re, re, list, reading those stories about your experiences with those people and then looking at it as, you know, how can we use this to bring the gospel to them? Um, I guess there wasn't really a question in that. Uh, the question I have for you is what, what, um, has brought you into this type of work? As in, how did I get involved? Yeah, that's like, right. What, what was my journey? Yeah. yeah. Uh, ever, ever since I was a child, I, I had an interest in, in cross-cultural missions. Um, grew up reading a lot of missionary biographies, things like that. And I, it was just always the way I thought was that I was going to end up living outside the United States. I never really considered a, a future um, where I was just going to settle down and, and live always where I had grown up. I wasn't, didn't know when I was young where that was going to lead me. But when I was uh, maybe 16, I think it was when, when ABT on nation's Bible translation got, got started they they came to our church and did a presentation i think in the year following their founding and joel martin um did that presentation and as part of his uh visualization of what a bible translation team could look like he had people standing up in front holding signs and he pulled me up there to hold the old old testament bible translator sign um, so it's interesting looking at that in retrospect, here I am an old Testament Bible translator. Mm. 
so that presentation um, started an interest. And a couple years later, I got to know Joel Bryant, Aaron Kreider, um, Ernest Eby, Austin State College on a more personal level and started dialoguing with them about joining ABT. So I joined, see, what year did I say that was? 2015. I believe I was 19 years old. So kind of got into it at a young age. Praise the Lord. God bless you as you uh, move ahead with it and for your desire to serve. Does anyone have any questions or comments, Brother Leonard? Well, I have the privilege of having a little more of an inside the inside scoop on on your work there, Leonard, and of course your teammates as well. And even you were referencing their journal, and um, I, my hats are off to the work of of your, your teammates um, who labored there for four or five years by themselves in a group that was very suspicious um, of them, and just just beautiful examples of. Of the of of, of of the incarnation of Christ uh, to people, um, and then also you know your your journey too, and just in another village close, um, working together, but yet with a different group of people, and just the the time it takes to learn their language, learn their culture, um, make those friends, but and, and understand them, and and um, yeah. Um, as, as I listened to you, it just stood out to me, John D, who's, who's on here, um, says that sin can be described in one word, and that is selfishness. <laughs> and just hearing you talk about that, like it just, it sounds like what I want to go to just so easily, this idea of like containing information. Um, and of course, it's, it's rapid in the United States as well, like I mean, it, it works against every aspect of a flourishing community, of a flourishing world is that, but we don't think so. We're selfish. We, we try to contain that so we can raise ourselves up mm-hmm. with, this, with this information that's privy just to me. Um, and it's, it's, just, it's rampant here. I mean, it's just, it's human. Um, but just maybe you just see it in such blatant fashion. Here we, do, here we disguise it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sadly it's right it, it's within me as a, you know, who says i'm a disciple of christ and mm-hmm. struggle with it uh in church life and lord help us mm-hmm. to have this have an abundance mindset versus a scarcity mindset and that's just the epitome of those people mm-hmm. and but our hearts just so quickly go there um but yeah thank you for sharing those stories i just find it incredible um would you mind kind of talking about maybe just a little bit of, of the steps of obviously you were in training for um, four or five years there. Um, but now that you're kind of on the field um, there, maybe just kind of the steps that have been taken beforehand by your, by your other teammates. And then, you know, as you kind of see this thing unfolding, like just a little bit, a little bit, a little bit of 30,000 foot view there of the project. Yeah. So the first task upon, 
entering a society like this is, is to learn their language and, and their culture simultaneously. Um, and sometimes those, those things, like one can't happen until the other is completed. For instance, these people, they, they have their core religious beliefs, and we can see the outworking of that, but they do not, they will not talk about those beliefs or will only talk about them in a very limited fashion in the Spanish language, which many of them do speak to some extent. So because they won't talk about them in Spanish, it's an absolute necessity to learn their language and become fluent in it. So you can just get to learn that, that part of them, um, what they believe. So learning their language, learning their culture, how they think um, is the first step. Uh, my, my teammates, Ethan and Lene, are more or less past that, or at least past the initial, the initial grind. Um, my wife and I are, are in the middle of it right now. So as our teammates have, have moved past that, they started doing some translation. They, they first started out with a little bit of Bible translation, working on the New Testament. But before long, they shifted to translating a, a teaching curriculum that starts out at creation or prior to creation, you know, with the nature of God and the the spiritual world that the bible teaches about then moves into the the creation of the world god's interaction with people down through history and the culmination of that with jesus christ and his teachings death resurrection just so like a 70 lesson curriculum that they've been translating with hundreds of pages of content and in addition to the teaching material they've been translating bible passages to accompany each of those lessons so that in itself is is a big task and they are getting very close to the end now so what we're thinking about now is what what's the best strategy for beginning to teach this um over in the village where ethan's are there's no christians um or maybe one the the translation helper that has been working with ethan has made some significant changes to his life in response to what he's learned um doesn't he's said he doesn't feel quite ready to make a final commitment but we are praying that that will happen very soon so there's no no church that exists in that village should the the bible teaching be presented there first um or over where my wife and I are, it's a larger village. There is a Christian group that meets there, kind of with a, a Pentecostal flavor. So maybe we should do the teaching there, um, get their feedback on it. It's without question, they would benefit from a comprehensive teaching on the Bible um, rather than the limited, the bits and pieces they're able to pick up from accessing the Spanish Bible. But regardless of, of where we do that, um, the Bible teaching is what, what we see as a, a next big step. And 
then uh, another focus on Bible translation. Lord willing, um, the, as the Lord will moves people in response to the to the Bible teaching, um, and they come to a full knowledge of Him, then they will be able to take that teaching and move move on, carry it to other villages, spread it throughout their home villages, and we can pivot to focus on uh, full full on Bible translation and. Yeah, the eventual goal is to work ourselves out of a job, um, to have an indigenous church that grows up to be self-governing, self-sustaining, self-propagating. So just to give a, a timeline, the 30,000-foot view that Bryant referenced, it begins with training in the States, then you gain access to that culture, spend time in language and culture learning, getting to know them, presenting the gospel, um, through the teaching of of the bible story and then bible translation so that they are left with with the entire scriptures not just selected portions for teaching but the entire scriptures that they can go on to study use and teach for years to come thanks for sharing that letter just real quick though um so <clears throat> So many times people think that Bible translators are a very unique um, group of people and, um, and they are an amazing group, <laughs> um, but they're just hardworking people like anyone on, on here. And I'm, I know that you're, you're, you know, it's not like your IQ is going to be through the roof and all that stuff. It's just not the case. Um, but uh, one thing this group might, might really enjoy hearing too is, is the vision for community development. Which, which is maybe the physical part that, that you as a team care about. Um, you know, sometimes, you know, is, 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 is the following Jesus just kind of spiritual or how does that work out? Mm -hmm. Which is spiritual too, right? So maybe mm -hmm. kind of talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So I have not referenced much the, the third family that is a part of our team. Um, they're, they're still... Um, kind of in, in preparation, still doing, wrapping up some Spanish study before transitioning to learning a, a third language, the indigenous language. But their focus is going to be community development. Uh, so we're not quite sure what all that's going to entail. It could be um, working with educational stuff like teaching literacy. Um, in fact, that, that will most almost certainly be a part of it. Um, it could be like health related, trying to improve the, the health of, of these people, um, maybe through diet changes, maybe through other sanitary habits. Um, or it's almost certainly going to involve economic development. So I mentioned how in our village, they, they say, oh, there's no employment. Um, they see no economic future, and so they travel outside to work. Um, we look at that and we say, you know, these, these people are going to be followers of God. Um, this practice of heading outside the village to work, it just divides families for long periods of time. This is not ideal. What can we do to help them develop the opportunities um, available or the opportunities that can be developed in this area? So they're largely subsistence farmers. Uh, they live on the corn and beans they grow. 
but they do have some cash crops. Coffee is a main one. And recently we've been thinking what we can do to, to, to develop that as it, or develop the economic potential of that. Where, where they sell it currently is locally very low prices. And we are quite sure that if, if we develop the right connections um, and help the farmers grow a high quality product that they could get a much better price for, for their coffee. And they could begin to see that as an actual way of producing um, or way of, of making a livelihood, an actual livelihood. Also, we're, we're considering some opportunities for giving loans that could help some small businesses start up that would keep money in the village itself. Currently, they, they travel outside to larger towns or bring products in from larger towns um, because there's no local, local means of production or local sellers. And that's just a money flow, a money drain, keeping the people in, in poverty by paying probably higher prices than they should be and and also not not keeping the money circulating in the village itself so there's not much money coming in and what does come in feels like it immediately flows out again so in our community development endeavors we hope to attack attack that economic aspect um, both increasing the money streams into the village and developing businesses so the money that does come in stays there is that sufficient, Brian? Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, and that, that coffee vision, that, I guess, would go as well. <laughs> Thank you, Leonard, for, for sharing. Uh, so Paul said that to the Jew, I became a Jew in order to win the Jews. Um, what does that look like uh, where you are? So uh, obviously you said about some ways in which they need to change, they need to learn, they need to grow. Uh, what are ways that like uh, you can move towards them um, in order to win them? Mm -hmm. So as in our American culture here, um, where we, there's some people that say, we need to like go to them to connect with them. Uh, speaking of wider American culture and they, what that looks like in reality is kind of casting off um, a lot of the Bible teachings um, in order to meet, meet those people where they are. Um, you end up meeting them in their worldliness. And we want to avoid that. Like I spoke of uh, some of the, the error that exists in, in their thinking. And of course, that carries over into their practice. We we can't adopt that. You know, there's just a, a foreignness that comes with the gospel that cannot be avoided. What we do want to avoid is foreignness that comes with our home culture or our home lifestyle. So the, the these people, their houses are simple. They're diet is limited and we have made 
every effort we can to when we are with them, we, we live like them. We live in a house like them. We eat the food that they eat. Um, we identify with them in their struggles where we can. I, in the end, we are white people from the United States, which they view as this utopia where everything is cheap, jobs are freely available, you make amazing wages. And some of that is true. Um, and because it is true, we, we are seen as having power, access to resources that they can only dream of. And we cannot change all that reality, but we are doing what we can to, to minimize the impact that that makes on our relationships with them. As we live like them, um, we hope and pray that they will see us as, as being like them and be impacted by the, the what could you call it, the in, our incarnation into their culture. Um, Jesus became like us in order to, to teach us and die for us. And similarly, we want to become like them in the ways that we can so that our, so with a goal of increasing openness to the message that we bring. Yeah, thank you for that. Appreciate that. I think that last part you shared there is a tremendous way to show uh, sacrifice. If they have such a high view of your culture you're coming out of, and they see you unnecessarily in their mind, uh, living a simpler, uh, more meager life, they probably sit there and shake their heads and wonder why, why would you do that? You're, you know, you're American. Um, it's it's a, a good way to show the willingness to abase ourselves and sacrifice. Show them Christ in that. Is there anyone else that has any comments? Well, thank you, Leonard, for um, coming on this morning and sharing that with us. Um, it's been a tremendous encouragement to me to hear about your willingness to be there uh, as a young family. I know that probably comes with a lot of sacrifices. So God bless you as you continue to um, work in his kingdom in this way and work at bringing the precious word of God to these people, not only in written form, but in the lives that you live, showing Jesus Christ to these people and bringing the kingdom of heaven there. Um, may God pour out his rich blessings on you for that. That is something that stood out to me in what you said about their view. Um, you know, there's no way through. There's, there's only a certain amount of good things. The first thing I thought of was they have a lot to learn about the riches of Christ. And I pray that you would, you and your teammates would be able to show them the bounties that we can live in as uh, followers of Jesus Christ, um, because they're in for a big surprise when that truth finally hits home. Um, so yeah, God bless you as you continue to work there and 
I hope it's been a challenge to all of us to, I guess the challenge I received was to use some of this um, purposefulness in the community that I work in as well. I mean, um, what do I know about the culture I'm in? What do I know about the roadblocks in the cultures that I'm in? Um, what, what about, what do I know about their worldviews that is uh, militant against the gospel making its mark on their lives? Um, so maybe leave you with that, leave you all with that challenge to take that into the communities that you live in as well, so that we can share the gospel in, in a thoughtful way that will minister to the people's needs in the places that we live. Well, that brings us to the end of our presentation this morning. Um, thank you all for joining us. And this is the last episode for 2021. So I guess we'll see you all in the new year on January 1st. Um, Larry Showalter is going to be sharing on, uh, the title is Rise Up, O Man of God. And I think that's a fitting title for the first episode of a new year. The challenge we need to rise up. Before we go, uh, Leonard, would you close us in a, a word of prayer? Mm -hmm. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for this group of men. And thank you for the encouragement that it has been for me to, to meet with them and share with them. I pray that you would equip us to meet with, with wisdom and strength the tasks that you have given us to be patriotic ambassadors for the kingdom of God in our communities, whether that's our, our communities where we were born and raised or whether that's communities far away where we need to do intentional study. Lord, help us to understand the, the people you have called us to witness to and know how to present your gospel to them. Pray that you would bless, bless each one as we go from here. Um, make your grace abound to us and fill us with good works that will testify of the goodness of God in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah. Thank you. God bless you all. Thank you for joining us again this morning. Um, go with God and use the time wisely for the days are evil and our time is short. Grace and peace. As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend.